Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Brian Nutwell. And I'm Drew Perot. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. Wonder Tour is back this week with Hamilton. Outside of just being an incredible musical, Hamilton tells us this story of Alexander Hamilton, a path that parallels the founding of America. Hamilton, as an orphan, is born into no status and no power, but he has the opportunity to rise up just like America. Throughout Act 1 of Hamilton, we see Hamilton living by his values and his principles. Hamilton has very clear compass that's leading him forward. He's working with the other people in his team, in his community, like Lawrence and Burr and Washington, in order to progress forward the mission. And their mission is, as outsiders of this system, to invade the system that the British have created and transform it, building a new one in its place. They need to break the existing system and establish new standards, establish new ways of working. And I think we can all see the parallels here in the world around us and in our businesses. Some of the traits that mark Hamilton are his sense of urgency. We see this theme of taking a shot throughout the entire musical. Hamilton, from a young age, has this desire to do something meaningful, to make his name great. And Hamilton gets frustrated when he feels like he's passed over for a promotion in a situation like where Washington promotes Charles Lee. But Hamilton has to come to understand what it truly means to be a leader. And in doing so, he figures out how to lead a revolution. What can we learn from Alexander Hamilton and all of the other characters surrounding him in this musical about how to lead a transformative revolution in the world that we see around us and in our businesses? Welcome to Wonder Tour. All right. Welcome back, Wanderers. This is Brian. I'm here with Drew. This is episode 98 and 99 of Wonder Tour, if you can believe that. And we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about the musical Hamilton. So, Drew, the thing that struck me the most the first time I saw this was just the visualization of the Founding Fathers, not as 60-year-old gray-bearded guys printed on the money who were aged and wise and had established this wonderful country that we have, but as these hot-blooded, young, 25-year-old punks who had crazy visions about the future and were willing to literally put their lives on their line to get there. And that's a thing that's it's a flavor of that story that even though we know they were all revolutionaries, the picture in your head of George Washington is not a big broad shouldered guy with a sword making battle decisions. It's, you know, it's the guy sitting in Mount Vernon. <laughs> and so this conception of the change agents in the world are not the ones who are the experts are not the ones who are satisfied with their status in life. They're not the ones who have succeeded in the current system necessarily. But the change agents in the world are the ones who are dissatisfied, who are passionate about a different way of doing things and are who are willing to really commit to make that happen. And, you know, in my pale shadow of that experience, right, I've been in the situation where I've tried to propel change inside of some organization or some, you know, some piece of the society around me. I can't say that I've ever felt at risk of being hanged for my actions. Right? You know, I'm not operating on that scale of risk. But just the the resistance and the inertia and the the struggles that I've seen 
with just trying to get normal things done or trying to make something better when there's clearly a better way kind of gives you an inkling of how extraordinary this challenge was. We all sometimes get upset when we see somebody who we think is institutionalized, like the American guy who's standing on the top of the box talking about how <laughs> everybody needs to turn back to Britain. And they're like, all right, we got to we got to do something about this guy. But it's representative of the system. It's like the system's trying to defend itself. And like you said, maybe like what we do is just a shadow of what some of the founding fathers did. Yet it is the same type of activity. And I think that's the point here that, number one, what you said is perfect. We do need to not necessarily have a reverence for the founding fathers. I don't think that's what it's about. But a respect for the legacy that they left is, I mean, truly, these are one in a million people who did things where C-3PO would tell you that the odds are not in your favor. <laughs> and they did them for good reasons. They did them to set people, they did them to unlock people's potential. And the characters are are very aware of that, right? They were aware, as they're portrayed in the in the musical, right? They're very aware of what a time to be alive right now, the story of tonight. Like, this is like a unique opportunity at the nexus of history. But one of the extraordinary things about it is that their vision was to create a system in which you and I, 200 years later, could have different revolutionary ideas about whatever random thing we were passionate about and be able to go execute it. As many people as possible should be able to have ideas. And that's the that's the experiment we're running. Like I said, just reframing that whole vision of the founding of the nation, not as a an august institution, but as this radical transformative change idea that was pursued by radical transformative people. That's really powerful. I really like that framing. And so I think one of the ways we'll kind of manage this conversation or this this discussion is, you know, the first part of this challenge is the revolution. The first part of this challenge is there is an existing system. It has strengths and weaknesses. But if you're in the position of wanting to disrupt it and get a, some space, get enough status yourself like Hamilton does, he wants to be in a good enough position, have enough authority, have enough leadership to be able to impose these changes on the world. How do you do that? And that playbook is very different from the playbook in the second act of, okay, great, now you're in charge, as King George says, now it's all your call, right? When you're in that role and you're trying to create something that is sustainable, when you're trying to work together with people to build something that lasts beyond whether or not you're personally in charge, that playbook is quite different than the revolutionary playbook. The building the sustainable organization, this, the leaving a legacy that will ripple through the future. And so I think that's kind of, that'll be a fun thing to look at is, you know, some of the lessons are true throughout this story, as, as our leadership lessons are true throughout all these stories, but some of the tactics aren't necessarily the same. And one of the great things about this is, right, we get to, we get to see Hamilton both succeeding and failing. Like, he makes a lot of mistakes by not understanding what the appropriate playbook or what the appropriate tactics are at a given moment. I like that you've brought in the playbook. So let's, as we go through this episode, maybe try to figure out a couple pages of that playbook so that we can apply those ourselves. I know it's easy to look at this and be like, well, I'm not George Washington. I'm not Hamilton. And yet there's an opportunity for us still to learn how to have a revolution like they had without having the arcane strategist skill set that Hamilton has or the arcane people leader skill set that Washington has. Yeah, and it's it's both discouraging and humbling and kind of encouraging, right? Like, you know, 
I can't be Luke Skywalker because Luke Skywalker is not a real person and the force isn't a thing on this planet as far as I can tell. Right. So that's it's you know, I can I can aspire to Obi-Wan or Luke's status, but that's not really a thing. Right. That's an that's an avatar of heroism. But these people were real people. This thing actually happened. This revolution actually happened based on principles that have resonated down through the centuries. So that's both humbling. Like, again, my scale of challenge is not that scale but also encouraging that like actual humans did this and others could, right? You can, you can achieve your thing. If you, if you really are committed, if you really are skillful. I like that. I like that. That's hitting it from both sides. So let's jump in here to our, what if this is going to be at first a little bit of a tangent, and then I think we can bring it all back together. So our, what if here is going to be pretty simple, but it kind of plays itself out in the main story in act one what if instead of marrying Eliza, Hamilton marries Angelica? Yes, this is great. So let's, so let's talk about Hamilton's character. Let's talk about the framing of his of his arc here. The catchphrase that we get very early in, on in the story, right, is I'm not throwing away my shot. He is all about opportunities. He is all about running really hard at whatever goal presents itself. And he is very status conscious. He's very conscious that he doesn't have any money or much education or much background or a family name, all he's got is energy and ambition and the willingness to read and digest huge amounts of information and try to turn that into principles, try to turn that into changes in the world. And so his basic personality is kind of combative. It's relentless. It's nonstop, as they talk about, like he's writing all the time. He's always going after these goals. He doesn't want to throw away a shot. And so, you know, he's Attaching himself to this wealthy family, marrying one of the Schuyler sisters, is an opportunity to make one of those steps, to become one of like the named people and to be in this next rank of society, which is encouraging. That could, will open up some more opportunities. But the two sisters are presented very differently, and Angelica is much the more articulate of the two. And she's brilliant and very passionate about the same ideas that he's passionate about and very clear on her role in society, but nonetheless just, you know, has this incredible energy and ambition and drive about her. She's very similar to Alexander, where Eliza is is much calmer and more direct and more, you know, and much more about the able to take joy in simpler things and able to have happiness in a moment without striving at all time. So what do you think? What what happens if he marries Angelica instead of Eliza? Well, sort of the the conflicts that we see, and we do see a couple of conflicts between him and Eliza over the course of the film. I mean, those conflicts with Angelica, I mean, imagine Hamilton versus Hamilton in those conflicts. Not that Angelica is just Hamilton, but she's meant to be kind of a mirror image of, or not a mirror image. She's meant to be like a, another Hamilton character there. I mean, that would be a lot to deal with. And you can see the way that he staunchly believes in what he believes in and he's not willing to be swayed and we get the opposite of that with eliza a lot of times she still has strong values and morals and yet she is willing to forgive him and she is willing to focus on sustainability continuity and the long game in different ways than hamilton's willing to focus on the long game hamilton's focusing on tearing down and creating the systems and Eliza's focused on, OK, but what types of people are going to inhabit those systems and how are we going to teach those people to live well? And I think we see that with her, right? She takes the time to focus on the things that matter and she is quick to forgive. She provides support during the most difficult times. She is trying to help Hamilton to understand things that he himself just is struggling to understand about the world and about himself. 
that he needs to slow down, that he needs to stay integrated instead of getting out over his skis. And I just don't think he can do that with Angelica. Right. Yeah. She doesn't anchor him the same way. She doesn't remind him. And this kind of ties back. We're, you know, we're wrapping up our joy arc here. And this really, for me, helps crystallize the joy versus happiness conversation. And of course, there's overlap, but Hamilton is pretty skilled at joy. He enjoys a lot of things. He's really good at things. He likes being good at things. He's running really hard at whatever's in front of him. He's often frustrated, but he's also often joyful. But Angelica is good at happiness. She's good at like taking a breath and looking around and enjoying what's in front of her. And, and Hamilton's really bad at that. Right. He's never satisfied, as Angelica says. Right. And she's the same way. And so it's almost like, you know, Hamilton is he's very principle driven that he's trying to accomplish something. He's trying to create this world, but he doesn't actually know how to like just live in the world. Like he doesn't know why you would want that world because he's still not satisfied. Whereas Eliza sort of represents and demonstrates to him and to us the whole point is not just to create new things. The point is to create new things so that more people can thrive, you know, so that more people can flourish. And she's sort of reminding him what that looks like is what the flourishing looks like. And so, yeah, I think it's very different and that he has a very different path. And so this might be a good opportunity to bring in like so because Hamilton's kind of got two anchors in the story that help him kind of tether him to not just getting hyper focused on the one obstacle in front of him, but zooming out, thinking about the big picture. So Eliza's one in the sort of the personal realm. And then Washington, of course, is the other. Now, Washington is our he's our Obi-Wan. He's our Gandalf right here. And this is again, this is a. We know a lot about George Washington as, you know, growing up as Americans. We know a lot about his legacy, but it's an interesting portrait of his personality that we see here. So what what do you see from what do you see from GW? So we see George Washington as almost the ultimate people leader. He is himself not necessarily having to do all the thinking, having to come up with all of the ideas and solutions, but he's surrounding himself with the types of people that can come up with those solutions, and then he's empowering them to be able to do so. And his focus is less on what the next big idea is or how they're going to overcome the next constraint versus making sure that he is pushing people around the board properly and pulling, you know, pushing sometimes, pulling other times people so that they can become the best version of themselves. That's exactly what we see with Hamilton as well. And that leads us to our first example of Washington's character and how he interacts with Hamilton. So in our first example, we have Hamilton signing up to fight, basically, and Washington telling him that, you know, he needs him for a specific role and he's good at writing and he's good at strategy, basically. And this is kind of continually what we see during the Revolutionary War with Washington and Hamilton during this phase of the movie is Hamilton as the revolutionary. Again, not a bad thing that he's a revolutionary here. It's a great thing. It makes all of this possible. But the revolutionary part of him, it's like his blood is boiling. He wants to fight. He wants to be on the front lines. He wants to be leading the revolution. And he doesn't, in his current understanding of the world at that point in the story, he doesn't quite see all the different influence he can have other than just being the person at the front with the face. (laughs) This is a classic transition to leadership failure mode. So many of us You know, if you get the opportunity to be a leader, it's often because you're individually skilled, right? You demonstrate, you know, you're you're at a low level, you're a grunt, you're a soldier, you're whatever you are. If you can be really good at that, then you can have the opportunity potentially to lead a small group or lead a team or lead a project. 
But many people that are put in leadership roles, uh, you know, certainly this has been my experience, right? Is you're like, oh, well, I should just, I should just do more of that. Like I should be more the be the best person at this job. I should do the most of the job because I'm the best one at it, or at least I think that I am. That's not leadership. Leading the charge is one thing. Like I'm out in front of everybody else with my sword and my gun. That's at a certain point, you can only influence a couple people that way, right? You're putting yourself at risk. You're spending your time to do things that way. That's not really leadership. Leadership is stepping back, zooming out, looking at a slightly bigger picture and figuring out how best to accomplish the goals and giving people opportunities so that both you take the best advantage of them and they have the opportunity to grow and to have their own insights and to figure out the best path forward. So Alexander at this point has not learned this lesson. Like he just wants to go run. He wants to go steal guns and shoot at the British. And Washington's like, yeah, I don't, I don't need that from you. I have people that do that. And I'm enough of them, right? What I need is somebody that can figure out how to use all the people we've got, how to get more resources, how to have a strategy, how to manage our plans. I need your brain. I don't need you. I don't need your trigger finger. And so many, many leaders have a hard time with that transition, especially in technical roles when you're really proud of your computer programming skills or your, you know, whatever it is that you're good at. It's really hard to like not just be the super the super expert. Like that's that's not leadership. Washington is not pretending that he's better at shooting a rifle than anybody else in his army. That's not what he's in charge. Right? What he's trying to teach Alexander is this is what leadership looks like. And Alexander chafes at that. It takes him a while to figure that out. So this takes us to our mountaintop. Let's talk about the the next lesson that he has to learn. So Alexander chafes and he's upset about this Charles Lee character being put into a generalship when he wants to be in charge of some people. Charles Lee is a disaster, gets fired writes some diatribes against Washington. There ends up being a duel that Hamilton is involved in. So just take us to our mountaintop moment here. What happens next? So our mountaintop is going to be, that would be enough. So that's kind of letting the cat out of the bag on what we're doing. But, you know, we love to flip the script here. There's so many high point moments that we can do here. You know, the world turned upside down, whatever. But no, what we want to look at is this moment where we see Washington sending Hamilton home with a dual purpose. Again, looking at the great leader that Washington is, he, number one, Hamilton is just getting too fired up. And as much as that's one of Hamilton's great traits that he's so passionate about things, Washington's like, no, you're causing more trouble than you understand. This is not strategic what you're doing here. You are trying to protect my name and trying to make your name great. I don't care about either of those things. You need to learn the wisdom of humility and just sometimes just letting somebody take a stab at Washington or whatever and not being too concerned about it. But that makes sense, right, in his character that Hamilton is because he grew up as an orphan and people looked down on him. People have always looked down on him. He has nothing great. And so when somebody spits on his name, he's like, come on. Or when somebody, you know, his mentor's name, he's like, that's not going to be acceptable. But then the other side of it is that he's going to be having a child and Washington knows that Hamilton isn't going to be able to correctly prioritize his family and the child that needs his love and care. The purpose on that side versus the purpose of this revolution and starting this new country, he knows that if he leaves him in this state of the revolution, that he'll miss out on something huge in terms of the legacy that he can leave in the world. Yeah. And he needs to go back. He needs to go back to Eliza, his other anchor, and relearn the lesson of not just what you're fighting against, but what you're fighting for. Right. What you're fighting for is on the other side of this, more people can have happy, peaceful lives with their wives and children. <laughs> right. So. So, yeah, like you said, Washington is this is a really powerful moment where he takes his best strategist 
who is causing trouble within the ranks as well as outside and sends him home partly to cool down and partly to just get recharged as to kind of what this, you know, what, what the orientation should be why we're even fighting this battle. And it's not just to win. It's not just to glorify Washington, right? It's to create this, this more idyllic future state. And so again, yeah, Washington is playing nine-dimensional wizard chess here while everybody else is sort of just running, charging blindly at the obstacles in front of them as the way he's portrayed here. But this is a real, this is a real Obi-Wan Gandalf kind of a moment, right? Like where Washington is concerned both about the big picture and about the well-being and personal growth of the individual people around him. And whether or not this is an actual moment in history, I don't know. I didn't read that deep into it. But that that lesson, that mode of being of caring for the people around you and knowing that you're putting them in harm's way, but also thinking about their future more than your own. Washington is our, we'll see this more and more in the second act, but this is our first clue of Washington's already at peace with our Doctor Strange moment of it's not about you. It's not yep. about him. He's, he's not in charge because he has to be in charge. He's in charge because he's qualified and he's on board with the, the vision and he's not making it about him. Alexander really needs to learn that. He's got the energy, he's got the vision, he's got the intellect, he's got the passion to do things, but he gets very narrow focused on what the obstacles are, and Washington's trying to teach him to zoom out. And this is another flip the script moment for us. It would seem like at a crucial point in the revolution, Hamilton is indispensable to the revolution and he needs to be involved as much as possible. And Washington sees it differently. He sees this as a crucial moment in Hamilton's development and that they have more than enough and that they have what they need in order to have the revolution and they can spare some of Hamilton's energy and his mind. That's not a way that most leaders think. Most leaders think, oh, we're in a really tough time in our business. So my best contributors, I need them not to take vacation and I need them to be giving me their best every single day. And we just need to find little ways to motivate them and stuff like that. Some of the best leaders don't think that way, though. They think, OK, well, what is this person's well-being currently like? If we have a mission that we need to accomplish, this member of the team having a good physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being is going to be absolutely critical to our success in the long term. I'm not so concerned with can we hit the KPI at the end of the month as I am with is this person growing? Are they developing into the type of leader that we need them to be? Right. That's a hard thing to do in the moment. You know, it's it's hard to not get personally upset about your legacy. It's hard to not get you know, so focused on the goal that's so important that you remember to take time to not just ask people how they're doing. Like he goes a step beyond that, right? Like he's not like, hey, Alexander, how's your work-life balance? He's like, he's, he's like, you don't understand this, but you need to go home, right? That's, that's, <laughs> another, that's another level of leadership insight, but also just confidence in yourself as a leader. Like, I know I'm doing the right thing for you and you'll get it even if you don't get it right now. That's, that's pretty extraordinary. We could all aspire to that level of caring for both the mission and the big picture and the individual humans around us. Yeah, that's the balance of truth and love that we're seeking, where he cares, like you said, deeply about somebody else's development above his own. And because of that, he's able to deliver the harsh truths of what needs to happen without concern for what people are going to think of him or if they're going to understand it right now or whatever. I think that it's too easy to fall on one side or the other of that, where we want to judge, we want to tell people the truth all the time. Well, this is just how it is. You know, you're just sheep. You're not seeing it for what it truly is. 
And on the other side, you know, we can just want to love somebody so much that we're enabling them. We're not supporting them. And Washington is able to toe the line here between those two things where he sees clearly what Hamilton's future could be, what the country's future could be, what each of the different entities' futures could be. And he's trying to make this whole thing work together in whatever way he has to. That only works if you come at it from a good character perspective, because if you come at that with a flawed character, it's very easy to misdirect somebody. Yeah, yeah, he's got he's got to leave his ego out of it. He's got to leave his own anxiety out of it. So, yeah, and we see this, you know, in the lead up between this moment and the the victory at Yorktown, the world turned upside down. Right. We see not just Hamilton. Right. You know, that all of the all of our players get sort of deployed to the most advantageous you know, the thing that they're uniquely, their unique superpower can provide, right? Lafayette goes back to France to try to negotiate, you know, some support and a Navy. Lawrence goes to South Carolina to stir up trouble down there. Hercules Mulligan goes back to be a tailor in New York City and spy on the British. And Hamilton goes back home to get recharged and then come back to be a strategist and then eventually to actually lead a combat unit. So it's really cool. You know, they, they kept the circle of characters fairly small in this rich moment in history. But what we see here is sort of this finding everybody's unique talents and using them to that best advantage and letting them lead, letting them lead the piece that they were suited for. Man, I love it. Such a good, it's interesting that we get to look at maybe more in episode two here, what Hamilton does great as a leader, but as he's growing in episode one, Washington is really the magnanimous leader character who is keeping everybody together, moving forward. And I think he's the one who's showing us what the revolutionary playbook looks like. Right. So maybe let's talk a little bit about that and then let's try to figure out, you know, what are some of the plays in this playbook or what are some of the the pillars of this playbook? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the um, yeah, the big one we we talked about was this kind of fighting for versus fighting against. We see the goal. We see the division of what they're trying to accomplish. This is very much a principle-driven struggle. The revolution is a different conception of the world order, a different conception of what people are empowered to be. And I, it's a side note, but you know, one of the reasons it works so well is because it reframes the founding fathers in the language of hip hop and with mostly minority actors, right? Like, you know, kind of this, oh, is, this is an underclass struggle. This is a people that are oppressed. This is the people that don't get to express who they are trying to express who they are. Like, it's an incredible resonance. It's an incredible conception of a, of a musical. But that can't just be fighting against. That has to be fighting for. We're trying to establish a thing where we, and not just we personally, but anybody like us, the people that come after us, will have the opportunity to express what we're fighting for, who they are. That was the first one that I got. What do you got? Yeah, then just like we always talk about, it's flipping the script. Washington, and then we'll see in part two as well, Hamilton is great at flipping the script, at looking at something from a different perspective. And you really need that in a revolutionary playbook. You have to, we should always stop and seek to see things from a different perspective. But ideally, honestly, in my experience, having one or two people who have the arcane flipping the script ability to oh. like actually flip their vision upside down of their model of reality you know, see what drops out, essentially, that is critical for a revolution. You have to have people who have that sort of vision. That's like a specific visionary skill set to be able to see things in a bizarre reality version 
and then understand how that can be applied to the current situation. Yeah, this is this is the Derek Cobb skill set, right? You know, we'll get him we'll get him on for episode 100 again. But this, you know, the ability to sort of look at the world orthogonal to everybody else and just see things that nobody else sees or approach it differently. Right. And, you know, you say revolutions have to do that. You can't just go march your 43 people up against the thousand British regiments you know, in the streets and start firing like you've got to have a different strategy. So Washington's really good at that. Hamilton's good at that at a tactical level, and he's learning to do it at a leadership level. So that's a really good one. Well, that leads us right into the next one there. What you were saying, Brian, is the abundance mindset is a tactic to itself. We have to reframe in terms of abundance, because whenever you're having a revolution, you are revolting against a system of some kind. And the system inherently has more resources than you have, of course. I mean, heck, those resources may be the last action of the system currently, but the system exists for a reason, and it's probably because the resources are keeping the system afloat. So you you have to have less resources, and so the only way to overcome that is to figure out how to think like you don't have less resources. Figure out how to break yourself out of not necessarily having finite resources, but feeling like you have to plan around finite resources, which is a scarcity mindset. Mm, okay, I like that one. I didn't I didn't think about that explicitly, but yeah, what what are the resources that you have and how do you how do you capitalize on them and how do you approach them differently than just trying to outspend the system? Yeah, that's and that's really that's putting it together. That's the flipping the script and the abundance mindset together. And the abundance mindset plus the Washington people leader mindset together is we have more than enough. It's the core of the abundance mindset is it's not even to me, how do we leverage our minimal resources? It's to start from a vantage point of I know that we have more than enough to complete the task. I just don't know how we have more than enough currently. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We have everything you need. Yeah. And then the last piece, I think, is the, you know, <laughs> if we think about the fighting for versus against, you know, is the anchoring, right? Is that Hamilton is fortunate to have Eliza as sort of a emotional anchor and Washington as a moral and leadership anchor, like these, you know, calmer, clear eyed people who are thinking about in Eliza's case, like this is how to create peace and tranquility in your little bubble. And in Washington's case, this is how to zoom out and think about what we're really doing. Those are both really good skills. What you're fighting for is more of that. Right. And the anchoring to people that provide that for you, finding a mentor, finding a voice, finding a partner finding somebody that allows you to have moments of peace, finding somebody that helps you get clarity on the big picture. Those are playbook items too. In the middle of a revolution where by definition you're fighting, by definition you're frustrated and oppressed, then having those resources, having those anchors available to you, I think is really powerful. Yeah, that's great. I think that's a, that is the last key takeaway there is when we're trying to overturn something, we have to be very careful to keep ourselves anchored to things and ideally dual or try or whatever anchors, because it's easy when you're overturning the whole system to lose track of what it is we're focused on and to get caught up in status and power and all of these things and control. So like you said, him keeping his founding with Eliza, with Washington is what allowed him to maintain a lot of his integrity throughout the process. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Well, I think that's going to wrap up for this episode. Act one is the revolutionary piece where we looked at how he goes from being sort of uh, ambitious and, you know, dissatisfied to having more clarity of purpose, to finding a group, finding a purpose, finding a, a role and kind of emerging into a leader. In part two, we're going to talk about, OK, great. As King George says, now it's all your call. Now you're in charge. 
what does that look like? What is the challenge of trying to establish a sustainable organization, sustainable change in the world? And maybe the playbook's going to be a little bit different. So that's going to be real fun. So we'll look forward to talking to you all next week. We appreciate you joining us. But until then, just remember, as always, character is destiny.